are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering online. Please go to www.hopechurchguildford.com for more details. We look forward to getting to know you. Well, a very warm welcome to you this morning. Uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to bring the Word of God to you. Um, Chris, thank you for your phone call. And uh, more importantly, thank you for the fellowship that we've enjoyed as ministers over the last few months of this lockdown. And um, so many good things have come out of that in terms of the churches across the town. And uh, so I, I think this is all part of that. My text for this morning, um, if you want to turn to Psalm 55 and follow it, I'm going to be referring to it. But um, I'm going to just read verse 22. And then pray, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. Father, I want to ask for your um, help and your strength for my speaking and our listening. Thank you for this incredible technology here in this chapel, uh, in this Riverside Rooms, the live stream. Uh, Lord, aid us, we pray, in, in all that we want to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you won't know a lot about me at all. I possibly might think it's a strange little accent. Well, my roots are in Wales, my mother's side, and on my father's side in the north of England, hence the Bur uh, lifelong Burnley supporter. And one of the things about people in the north is that they generally say things uh, as they are. Sometimes it's a bit blunt, it's a bit rude, but they kind of say, you call it a spade, a spade. In the South, and I've grown up in the South, so I'm a product of the South, it's a little bit different, isn't it? Instead of being honest about how you feel, what happens is that people tend to sort of go around their houses and, and then finally, eventually, they'll, they'll tell you what they actually feel. Sometimes they don't tell you at all. So you've had a terrible day and, you know, you've feel almost ready to throw in the towel and somebody asks you how you are, I say, oh, fine, 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 fine. You'd think in the Christian community it would be a little bit better than that, a bit more honest, but actually in some ways the problem's even worse because we have this doctrine right at the centre of our faith, which is to do with resurrection, to do with hope and to do with joy, and, and which is great, of course, except that some days we don't feel very joyful. Some days we don't feel very victorious. We feel lousy. We might feel disappointed, disillusioned. We might feel in crisis. But because of this thing about joy and power and resurrection and, and victory, my experience as a pastor is that what people tend to do is they cover up. They put a gloss over it and they... And they sometimes they pretend. And, and of course, what we... What, happens as we know is that when you don't give expression to how you're feeling they don't disappear they just go underground and they surface at another time usually not under your control well knowing that this is the case about us God in his goodness provides us with words so at least at least in prayer if nothing else we can be honest with God. We call these words psalms, all 150 of them. They explore what John Calvin called the whole anatomy of the soul. 
They, they allow us to bring everything to God from the most exuberant joy and praise to the deepest cries of lament and everything in between. And uh, you name it, you'll find it in the Psalms because if there is anything that the Psalms teach us, it is that raw feelings, feelings that you may have even this morning, are not the enemy of prayer, but they're the stuff of prayer. The things that God wants us to bring into our prayer life. My dear friend Dave Hansen, a great pastor, writer, he says in one of his books, God does not require polished theology or flawless faith in prayer, but God may well require a total outpouring of the body, mind and soul in prayer as the act, as the act of loving him with our body, mind and soul. Now, Bible scholars among you will know that the Psalms are typically divided into different categories. So we have Psalms of lament, Psalms of confession, Psalms of thanksgiving, kingship Psalms, wisdom Psalms, creation Psalms. Uh, people like to categorize these things. I think personally you should just pray them, but, but anyway, you categorize them. And if that sounds too technical, basically you can summarize it in seven headings. You have Psalms that say, help me, some say, forgive me, thank you, I trust you, that's terrible, they're terrible, that's wonderful, and you're great. And this morning I want to take one of those forms of psalms, one of those categories, psalms of lament and the psalms of complaint and supplication, because I think it would be true to say of all the psalms, the psalms of the lament are the most honest and I dare say perhaps as Christians the most problematic for us particularly if we're in a culture a Christian culture that doesn't permit this too much Psalms of Lament very honest take Psalm 22 which is perhaps the most well-known uh, lament my God my God why have you forsaken me we all know where that prayer ends up on the cross of Christ. Or how about Psalm 13, which is perhaps the shortest lament? How long? Oh Lord, how long? You can feel the sigh, can't you? The groan. How long? Will you forget me forever? Question. Well, how about Psalm 88, which ends with unrelieved gloom, <laughs> darkness, is my closest friend. Full stop. Doesn't go anywhere, that psalm. Most laments come out of the trough, but this just stays there. Now, as much as we think we cannot possibly say these things to God because it would be irreverent to say that to God, the psalms are, are giving us permission. They are saying to us, no, this is exactly what you can bring, amongst many other things in our emotional range. You can bring this to God. Honest, candid, sometimes shocking prayers. And Psalm 55, which is our text this morning, begins with a classic plea that God would answer the psalmist in his pain and distress. Uh, there's, there's trouble in the city. Uh, his heart is in anguish. Fear has overwhelmed him. 
there's violence on the streets. Um, there's 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 there's, there's um, day and night. Violence prowls upon the walls of the city, not the watchman, but violence itself. Pretty contemporary psalm, don't you think? And then this incredibly honest line in verse 6, as early as verse 6, where the psalmist cries. Have you ever said this? Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away. And stay in the desert, I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and the storm. Oh, the wings of a dove. Get me out of this place. You ever prayed that prayer? Ever thought that? I was with somebody the other day, and they said, this is exactly what they said, I actually heard them. They were in one of those meetings, which, you know, kind of an old smile event. And, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure, isn't there, to look right. And they just, I, I heard them mutter, get me out of this place. And, or as the psalmist says here, you know, get me to a small hut. Have you ever fantasized about that? Get me to, way off to the woods or a mountainside or the desert or whatever. Small, all I want is a small bed, <laughs> a little table, a kettle. Uh, no people, and just rest. You may have felt that over this last period of time, or you may have felt that's exactly where you are. And what the psalmist does is bring this cry for wings. The last time I looked, we don't have. <laughs> bring this honest prayer to God. Now, it may not be the prettiest prayer, but it's an honest thought that he had muttered to himself. And actually, that's the point. It's not even a prayer in the strictest definition of a prayer. It's a muttering. You ever muttered? And, and he says to himself, I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove, and, the, and somehow this muttering and this reflection, which is oftentimes as bad as much as we can offer in prayer, gets turned into confession uh, to God. So Psalm 55 begins this way. But if it teaches us that our internal uh, wrestling, our internal mutterings, our complaints, our, our longings to escape can become a prayer. It is also encouraging us in this psalm, it's an astonishing psalm, to bring our feelings of rejection as well into prayer. Those times when we feel uh, not just insulted by our enemies, I mean we could cope with that, enemies are supposed to do that, but our friends. Now this is where it gets very, very um, uh, difficult to, to, to pray because we've, many of us have had that experience. You've had that experience. I've had that experience. Maybe I've inflicted that on somebody else. And instead of glossing over it, instead of pretending it hasn't happened, oh, it wasn't really as bad as that, 
the psalmist brings that feeling of anguish and bitterness to God in prayer. In fact, I don't know if you, uh, if you read through the psalm, in verse 13, <laughs> as a prayer, the psalmist actually brings that, uh, that, that feeling right into the midst of his prayer and addresses his friend. So if the first part is, is about praying in the first person singular, I said to myself, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. Now it's the second person singular. He's, he's talking to his friend in his prayer as if he's in the room. Verse 13, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from it. But it is you, he says. This is in the midst of the psalm. It is you. A man like myself, my companion, my familiar friend, with whom I kept pleasant company as we walked into the house of God with the throng. Now, I, I don't know about you, I find that astonishing. That prayer includes, or can include, our own internal mutterings, and also it can include our imaginary conversations with people. You say, oh, that can't possibly be the case. Well, Maybe we've restricted our prayer too much to devout thoughts and pious feelings rather than bringing the whole of ourself into our prayers and before God. It's a very striking verse, isn't it? Verse 13. And then just when you think that's something, wow, you know, to actually, actually address your friend in your prayer that's let you down, look what it then says in verse 15. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down to the grave alive, for evil finds lodging among them. Which basically means, one translator uh, gave this as a translation, which basically means go to hell. He said, no, surely he's not saying that. It must be a bad trend. That's basically what he's saying. And if you know the Psalms, you will know that these, these what they call imprecations, these words of vengeance, they crop up all over the place in the Psalms. In fact, if you go to Psalm 58, just a few Psalms later on, you get the best example of all. I mean, let me just read you the, the last verse 9. Uh, talking about his enemy. Sooner than your pot can feel the heat of the thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. Urgh. It's like a sort of... Ugh. You can imagine it, can't you? A nice congregation on a Sunday morning. I always imagine. don't know why I imagine an Anglican congregation at this moment in time. You know, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> it's like, what? Now, as Christians, we say, generally say, we shouldn't say these things. You know, and I know Christians who say we shouldn't even pray these prayers. They're not Christian prayers. We should cut them out, as it were. Because Christians ought not to feel that way. But what if you feel that way? We do have, I dare say, from time to time, all of us, feelings of vengeance, anger. So the question is not that we should, shouldn't feel that way, but if we feel that way, what are you going to do about it? Where are you going to take that? I agree with the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann at this point. He says, that, he says that I can think of only three things that you can do with your thirst for vengeance. Number one, 
you can take a gun. But I hope none of you will do that. Seriously. Number two, you can deny your feelings, but the trouble is when you deny your feelings, as we know, what happens is that they go underground. And they surface at a time usually not convenient and oftentimes inflicted on somebody who least deserves it. The third thing you can do is that you can give these feelings to your therapist. You can give your feelings to God. And I want to suggest to you that this is what these psalms are doing. They are, they are saying, I am, being, I am being torn apart inside. And I now want to give these feelings to you. We know about this in our lives. We have daily experiences of, of these kind of things. In other words, we commit our vengeance to God, but we commit our vengeance to God. Do you know what I mean? We actually commit our vengeance to God. We say it. And this is what's happening in Psalm 55. So, to come back to our text... Our psalm, having meandered his way through his mutterings and his desire to run away and his fantasizing about some little hut in the mountains and then calling out to God and then cursing his enemies. And finally, finally, finally in this psalm, he comes to God. Although even there, actually, it'd be more accurate to say, finally, he addresses the congregation. Is what he does in the psalm. The, the prayer is to the congregation. But in speaking to the congregation, he's speaking to God. And he's getting to, to that place in prayer that I, I think is what we're all striving for, are we not? When we're wrestling and we're bringing our honesty and our, before God, that place where in verse 22 he arrives cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you it's a very violent word by the way to, to cast, to throw throw your burden on the Lord because he will sustain you because actually um, it's picked up in one of Peter's letters because he cares, Peter tweaks it a little bit because he cares for you same thing. God who sustains you is the God who cares for you. God who cares for you is the God who sustains you. And it's interesting, isn't it? Not cast your burden on the Lord and he'll get you out of the situation. He may, but he may not. Not cast your burden on the Lord and he'll get rid of all those nasty people in your lives. And that'd be wonderful. But that's not what's promised here. Not pack up your troubles in your old kit bag and... Smile, smile, smile. But rather, cast your burdens on the Lord. And he will sustain you. He gets there. How long did that take? If you read the psalm, it takes about, I don't know, five, a few minutes. 
probably in reality, the psalm is describing uh, a period of time in wrestling and praying, um, a spiritual renewal that took hours, days, possibly months of personal anguish. And here's what I want to say. Unless we go through that um, honesty, struggle, pain, uh, distress, unless we bring that out, it's likely that we will never get to that place of surrender. Or the words of surrender that we say in verse 22 will just be superficial. They won't be, they won't be real. They'll be pretense. It seems to me you have to go through this uh, darkness to some degree in order to arrive at this place of peace. John Vincent Taylor, former Bishop of Winchester, puts it this way. Let's see if I can try and uh, draw this message to a close. What God loves is nothing but the whole, the whole self in the whole situation. That and nothing else is what is present to God, all present. And then he says, if I can, if I can paraphrase, he says, this requires us calling in from the past, uh, ourselves from the past, that which we feel ashamed about in our past. This means um, calling in oneself from the future, the, the anxieties, the concerns that we have about, about that. And this also entails calling the self from beyond the pale, that bit of our autobiography that we don't want anyone to know about. But we can bring before God. And the encouragement this morning, my encouragement to you, is to, is to do that. To cast your cares upon him, upon the Lord Jesus. Take his yoke upon you um, and find rest, particularly at this strange and bizarre time that we are living through. A few years ago, uh, I, will, I will close with this illustration. I was um, actually following up an illustration, a sermon illustration that I'd heard, and I was in New York with one of my sons, and, and I, I went down Fifth Avenue following up an illustration by Bruce Larson, who used to be the pastor there in one of the churches, Presbyterian churches, and I went to the site of the Rockefeller Institute, Fifth Avenue, and there Outside is a statue of Atlas carrying the world on his shoulders, straining under the weight. Bruce Larson was a pastor in that part of New York, and many times he would take parishioners out from his office, and they would go stand in front of that statue. And then, and I actually did this, I, I, I lived through the illustration, he then went from there across Fifth Avenue into St. Patrick's Cathedral, just go across the road. And there behind the altar, you can walk behind it, I couldn't actually get round it, it was roped off, but I did manage to get a glimpse, is a, li a life-size statue of the boy Jesus at the age of 12. Effortlessly carrying, holding the world in the palm of his hand. He's got the whole world in his hands. Bruce Larson would often 
this point turn to the person and would say, now tell me, how do you want to live? You want to live with the world on your shoulders, anxious about this and that? Or do you want to cast your cares upon the one who has the whole world in his hands, the Lord Jesus himself, and find rest and know that he will, he will sustain you in the days to come as you pour out your heart, as you cry out to him. Let us pray. Father, these are strange challenging, in many ways distressing times in which we live. Just when we thought we had enough to carry, it seems that another load is placed on our shoulders, things to worry about, to be concerned for, to be distressed. And so this morning, Lord, we want to very deliberately gather these burdens up, cast them upon you because we know that you care and that you will indeed sustain us now and in the days to come. We ask your blessing upon all the churches in Guildford. I pray your blessing today for this congregation gathered. May they be as their new name says, a place of hope and light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We're meeting online every Sunday at 10 a.m. Head to hopechurchguildford.com for more information. We look forward to seeing you.